let's do this first. We're going to get into a little bit more of this story on why we're celebrating what we're celebrating today. But let's first, let's pray together. Let's spend some time. We're just gonna, I'm just going to talk to God for just a second. We recognize that he's here. He's present. He wants, to, he wants to grab hold of each one of us. He wants, whether you want it or not, he wants to let you know about his love. So let's pray and, 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 um, and just recognize that he's in this place. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that your story didn't end. It didn't end with the cross. We thank you for the cross and the love that you have for us, that you would actually have had your son go all the way to the point of death. But we thank you that that story didn't end there. We thank you that the Roman soldiers didn't win. We thank you that the religious authorities didn't win. We thank you that death didn't win. We pray, Lord, that today you would speak to each person and that we would realize life today, the life that you can give us today. You have risen. You have risen indeed. And for some of us, we've known that for a long time. And some of us, we're just trying to put the pieces together right now. God, we pray that you would help us to, to see your love, your life that you're presenting and giving as a gift to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Mind if we join you, old timer? Jive me, my son. Jive. You work for the railroad, Grandpa? I work for no man. You got a name, do you? I have no name. Well, that right there may be the reason you've had difficulty finding gainful employment. You see, in the mart of competitive commerce... You seek a great fortune. You three who are not in change. You will find a fortune. No, it will not be the fortune you seek. And oh, so many startlements. I cannot tell you how long this road shall be. But fear not the obstacles in your path. For fate has vouchsafed your reward. Do the road may wind. Yea, your hearts grow weary. Still shall ye follow the way. Even unto your salvation. All right, so we got a little Avengers in the morning. We got a little the bro, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Um, you guys, there's no Oh Brother, Art Thou on Easter? Come on, we love that. The reason why we show that is, is I love what the guy is saying. Because when, when you really boil it down, what he's saying is we are seeking something. In our life, we're, all, we're seeking something. But sometimes when we're seeking it, we find something else. And what we find might actually be far more powerful than we thought we were looking for and might lead us in a direction that we thought we'd never be and it's so much better. That's what I love about Easter because back then 2,000 years ago and we'll talk about that and today we can, be, we can be seeking something in our life. We're not even quite sure what it is and then God gets our attention, shakes us up and says, I want to speak to you of something deep inside and I want, I want to tell you about life and it takes us in a whole new direction. And that can happen today for each one of us. 
Now, yeah, Easter for me growing up, Easter for me was, was, uh, was about Easter eggs and, and, uh, and my family. We had six in our family and four boys and my mom and dad. Everyone always said, I feel sorry for your mom. And, you know, it was just four boys and we would fight over everything. We have competition over everything. When the eggs, when we were looking for the eggs, we are fighting each other for who gets them. Back then, you didn't get candy. You guys that get candy now, I don't know what happened with the Easter Bunny, but he started giving out candy. Back then, it was like just hard-boiled eggs and that was it. Not even plastic eggs, just hard-boiled eggs. And we, we're, we're looking for those, and we're trying to find eggs, and we're hanging out at my house, and we're then hanging out at my grandparents' house, and it was about family. It was about the fun. It was about a bunch of food. It was all of those things as part of Easter. And oh yeah, we also went to church. We, went, we kind of threw in a little bit of church, too. We were a Catholic family, went to church all the time, and, and I was an altar boy, so I wore that little white robe and the little rope around there, and, and I'd, I'd, uh, you'd have to hold the Bible out. And the Catholic Bible, man, it's huge. And so you'd hold this Bible out for the priest to read out of it, and my hands are shaking because it's so big. I mean, this is the one that Jesus signed, so it was this really big Bible, and so you're holding it out there, you know, it was all about you kneel on this marble floor and you're feeling like you're going to pass out. That was, that was my experience. You, you did that at church and then you went and had all the fun. Church was the throw in for Easter. Church was the sprinkle that, oh yeah, we probably should do that too. And that's from a family that went to church all the time. We just kind of, you just threw it in. Well, I started thinking about that and I thought, really, isn't that what a lot of us do in our life? If you really think about your life, aren't we living out our life and then we might toss in a little bit of Jesus on that and see where that goes. We'll sprinkle some Jesus on it and go, maybe that might enhance my life. What I did up here, you know, you guys are new, you're looking at going, this is such a junky church. It's like, what are you still at Sam's Club? And yes, it kind of, we kind of are. Um, I put just some stuff that would, that would depict some of my life, some of our lives. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is family. This is the closest I could come to a picture of family, you know. I know, it's not even mine. Chris Lag just gave it to me. I don't know what he, where he got it. But it, this family right there, you know, and for some of us, family is life. For me, family, my mom would say this, family is life. That it's all about grandparents, parents, kids, spouse, uh, grandchildren. It's all about that. And, you know, my mom lives and dies. She lives for her family. When we come into Spokane, she cries when we get there and she bawls when we leave. You know, and, and that's, it's all about family. For some of us, that's what it is. For some of us, it's about climbing the ladder, success. Which rung can I get to? How high can I climb? You love the, 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 the amount of, of even stress that comes with the success and the, the drive for that success. You want some reward when it's all said and done. I mean, I've got, I've got these two. These, these are the, the, my, my greatest accomplishment in sports, you guys. This is, you talk about a reward. My greatest accomplishment in sports. In 1985, I played for the Meade High School basketball team. And when they gave out awards at the end of the year, they gave out most valuable player. And they gave out team captain. My brother, my twin brother got, gets team captain. Somebody else gets most inspirational. They're cheering the best. I get 1985-86, Bill Stevens Mead High School, most improved player. <laughs> most improved. You walk up and you get this plaque and you're like, sweet, I got a plaque. You didn't get a plaque, but you realize you're getting it because you sucked. And then you got a little bit better. You know, that's most improved. Well, the next year, I shouldn't say that on Easter. I'm sorry. Uh, the next year, I get this award. 
Mead High School varsity boys basketball, 1986-87, Bill Stevens, most improved player. <laughs> two years in a row. There isn't another athlete at Mead High School that can claim two years in a row of most improved. It means I was terrible and got mediocre and then got terrible again and got mediocre. Most improved two years in a row, but you know it didn't matter because I got the reward. Man, a lot of us, it doesn't matter what it is, we'll climb that ladder to get the reward. For some of us, I'm done climbing the ladder. Give me a chair, a remote control, and a beer, and that's all I want. That's my life. For some of us, that's what it is. I got a bunch of other things over here that consume our life. They just go, man, this is part of life. The two-year-old. Any of you guys have kids that are one years old, two-year-old, three-year-old, and if you ask them, how's life? What life? My life for my kids, that's it. I'm pushing a stroller around all day long. That's my life, you know. And back when we had kids, they didn't put wheels on strollers. Now they got wheels on them. It's a lot easier. So it could be, it could be kids. I mean, it's work and school that's your life, that you're, that's consuming you. I did college ministry for 20 years. Walk up on the CU campus these days. No one's talking to each other. They're just, they're fried. They're walking around going, just get me out of here. I'm done with school. The seniors don't care. They're not even there. But the rest of them are fried. I mean, that's, some of us, we're consumed with that. We're consumed with our exercise, man. And some of us are just working out like crazy, like me, man. I'd be... I'd bench that, but it's too easy. You put another plate on there, and then I can, you know. Some of us, I got that orange and blue on here. It's hard for me to touch it because I'm a Seahawk fan, but the orange and blue. Some of you guys, this is life. Admit it, it is. You're excited because Flacco's there, but you won't be in the fall. It's life. It's life. You guys... We could all put all kinds of stuff on these places. If we all put something on here, it'd, be, it'd look like it'd be cluttered, but if, it would be all of our lives. This is what we, this is what we live. Some of our lives, it's, it's the opposite of what I just said. It's not, it's not family, it's broken family, and that's life. Some of our lives are not success, it's failure. One failure after another. Some of us, that's where, we're, that's where we relate to. Some of us, it's, it's I can't exercise because I've got too much physical pain. And that's, that's, that's some of our lives. I've got this, I've got this broken mirror here because for some of us, our life is, I'm not going to shine this in your eyes. It hurts, see? Uh, <laughs> uh, for some of us, you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. It's broken. You have all kinds of stuff going on. The, the decisions you've made, It's broken. You're looking at your life and you're going, I, I don't know what to do with it. You're confused within it. And you're seeing just a broken image in the mirror. For some of us, that's what it is. But you guys, the reality is all of us have the good and the bad. We pile all this stuff on here that's life. And what a lot of us do is then we say, well, what if I sprinkle the little Jesus on this? If I sprinkle a little Jesus on this life, will it be a little bit better then? If I, if I just... Went to church a couple of times a year if I went to church every week. Does that make it a little bit better? If I, if I pray a little bit, will that make it better? I mean, you guys that go to church all the time, come on, think about it from your perspective. And on a Monday or a Tuesday, aren't we still just going, okay, so if I, if I just do this, will it make life a little bit better? Some of you, you're not doing that, but you wonder, should I be? Should I be doing that? If I did that, will, would my life improve a little bit? Sprinkle a little Jesus on it. It's like salt on food. 
My dad taught me, you know, you, you put the salt in your hand. You don't just pour it straight on because you don't know how much comes out. You might put too much on. And some of us are going, man, I don't want too much Jesus. Then it's going to be like religious. And so I don't want too much Jesus. I'll just put enough on there. You salt enough on there. You're sprinkling on. You're going, all right. Does that enhance my life? Man, that, that's a question I think we all ask. Here's what I want us all to know. We're in no different place. I don't want you to beat yourself up for this or to think different. We're, we're in no different place than what everybody that was following Jesus back then was doing. 2,000 years ago, people were evaluating life. And then if I get to know Jesus, how does that improve my life? Even the ones that were walking closest to Jesus were asking the question, how does that improve my life? There was one point that, that Jesus was confronting somebody and then he talked to his disciples about it and he talked to Peter about it. Peter was one of his closest friends and Peter's looking at him and he's going, he's going, okay, I'm following you, but look at what he says. He says, we've left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it? What do we get out of this, Jesus? What benefit is this going to be to our life? Man, that is a sprinkling of God question. It's saying, I want to sprinkle some of you on my life, and what do I get out of it? And that's a legit question. That's a question all of us should be asking. But Jesus' response to it, his response all the, time to the, to the, all the time to the questions that people would ask him underneath what his words were always an invitation. Just come and follow me. Come and watch what I do. Take notes of not only what I say, but how I do this. You want to know what you're going to get out of it? Follow me and you'll see. And so these guys would follow him. And so, so I'm going to spend some time this morning looking a little bit more at, the, at Peter and what Peter did in following Jesus because we can learn and we can relate so much to Peter in this. See, Peter started following him, and here's what happened. He started to see one, he started to see miracles, started to see powerful things. And so there was no doubt that this guy could do some things that other people couldn't do, powerful things. So they're going, wow, I don't understand why, how he changed that water into wine, but he did, and that was pretty cool. And so, so you saw, he saw those things. People saw the power. But then he started seeing some other things too, because remember, you guys, you see Jesus and these guys that are watching him are going, he's a religious leader. And so they have a thought in their head of what a religious leader would do. Well, Jesus would come to people and he actually got to know them. He would come to them and he'd know their name and he'd know their story. And that was so far from what people expected of a religious leader. Look at what a guy named Tim Hansel, he writes about this. He says, The religious of his day were offended because he did not follow their rules and traditions. He was bold and outspoken. He favored extreme change and valued what they felt was insignificant, which was largely the unlovely. He consistently smashed his own followers, like guys like Peter. He smashed his own followers' expectation of what the Messiah should do. He simply didn't fit their mold. He didn't try to. See, they were seeking one thing. You and I were seeking one thing. And Jesus is going, man, I'm going to shock you. You guys have, that have, have you've been away from church for a long time and you've been wronged by the church at one time. You know what? Right now, I'm going to shock you, Jesus is saying. I'm going to do it differently than what you're expecting. And he got to know people. 
got to know their hearts. He sat down with them. He sat down with a woman that had five husbands. You, you talk about somebody that's li- that life and family was broken. This woman was broken. And instead of Jesus condemning her and judging her like what we would expect when we're looking for something, Jesus said, I love you. And I forgive you. And let's walk this road. She left there jumping for joy because she's going, he knew me from the inside out. Peter and those guys are watching this going, wait a minute. That doesn't look like a sprinkling of Jesus in my life. That doesn't look like a sprinkling. That looks like something far more than sprinkling of Jesus in somebody's life. He's diving into her life. And so he's watching all of that. And then he starts to see it happen in his own life. He starts to unpack it. He starts to see, wait a minute now. Now he's speaking to me. And he's, he's looking at all the things he's doing. He's going, and he's inviting me to be a part of it. He's believing in me. Why? I'm a fisherman that, that barely believes in him. And he believes in me. And he, and he, he entrusts and he, gives, and he empowers me. Why? Me? Of all people? Come on, if you're sitting there right now and you're going, I'm one of those people that just got dragged in here today. There's no way that Jesus would ever do that with me. He's going to do that with somebody else who's been around forever. No, no, he's picking you. And he's going, I can empower you and I believe in you. And then he starts getting to know him. He starts getting to know his very best of who Peter is. But he also knows his hardest stuff. He knows that Peter is fearful and he speaks into that fear. He knows, that, he knows that Peter doubts, and he speaks into that doubt. He knows that Peter is, is compulsive, and he makes foolish decisions, and he makes decisions that pull him further away from what God would want, and Jesus speaks into that. And what Peter recognizes is that Jesus speaks into it as friend. He says, I call you friend. Okay, now this is not at all what I expect from you. But he calls him friend. This isn't a sprinkling. Okay, but then Jesus turns it up a notch and he says this. He says, not only am I calling you friend, but I'm going to give you life. He says, I am the resurrection. I am life. Everyone who believes in me will have life, even though they die. I am the, Peter's listening to that going, I have no idea what you're talking about. I am the resurrection. I am life. Everyone who believes in me will have life even though they die. See, Jesus is looking at Peter. He's going, I can give you a new life. A new life marked by love. A new life marked by hope. A new life marked by healing. A new, a new life marked by joy. That, that these things become secondary, become something that comes after you recognize the life that I give you that isn't dependent on circumstances. And that life that I'm promising you is a life that will not end. It's a life of love that will not end. That's not even a life that's just for someday way down the road. That's a life for today is what he's telling him. Okay, so he's telling him all this stuff. Peter's sitting there listening to all this stuff, a life marked by love and joy and hope. And then something awful happens. 
The Roman soldiers get a hold of this. The Roman soldiers start hearing about the people that are getting excited about Jesus. The Roman soldiers do, and the, Jew, and, and the religious leaders do, and they come together and they say, I, we, are, we, we need to stop this. They arrest Jesus. The disciples are watching it, and they know Jesus is going to save himself. He's the hero in the movie. You know, when you're watching a movie and you're waiting for the hero to come and save the day, they're going, well, he's going to save himself. There's no way those Roman soldiers are going to win. He talked about being the son of God. But then they start beating him. Peter's watching all this and he's going, wait a minute. All those things you said, is it true or not? Come on, Jesus. There was a point that a middle school girl is sitting there and she says, do you know this guy? And Peter's going, I don't know if I do. I don't know. And he did it three times. He just denied that he even knew Jesus. He's as confused as you get because Jesus is getting beaten down. The Romans are winning. And then they put nails in his hands and feet and a crown of thorns around his head. And they put him up on that cross. And they're going, "Uh uh-oh, he's not going to be able to save himself from this. And then he breathes his last And you can just picture Peter just going, what? All those things that he said, all that stuff, what? Son of God, I'll give you good teacher. But I don't know if I believe the rest. Saturday, you guys, Saturday comes. There isn't a person in this world on Saturday that believed that Jesus won. There isn't anybody that's counting down the hours saying 12 more hours, 11 more hours until he rises from the dead. Everyone believed that the Romans won. So early on Sunday morning, two ladies, Mary and Mary, they come out with these, these oils and stuff because they were just going to prepare the body. It was something that they would, a traditional thing they would do. And they walked out to the tomb and the rock was rolled away and they looked in and, the, and Jesus wasn't there. And they ran back and they, they woke Peter and John up and they said, somebody has taken the body. They're just, you know, they're cleaning the sleep out of their eyes. They're going, what? And they're just going, you, they're, somebody took the body. So the two of them get on their Nikes and they go running. They go running after Jesus. And it says this. It says, says, Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. They're running neck and neck. John wrote this. John's the other disciple. John felt the need to make sure we all knew 2,000 years later that he outran Peter. (laughs) You know, arrogance. That was the, if we're dealing with it, he was dealing with it too. You know, I got to the tomb and then I look back and Peter's not there. You know, now this next line is actually a really interesting line as part of this. Look at what he says. It says, Peter finally got to the tomb. <laughs> now, now think about this, you guys. They're running neck and neck and he finally got to the tomb. Now, either he had a second wind that just bolted on past, or he's sitting there. If, he, if Peter was right behind him, he would never have used the word finally. He wouldn't be sitting there at the tomb just going, I got there. Oh, and you finally got there. You know, he wouldn't say that for two seconds later. He's looking. He's getting down. He's seeing. He's going, where the heck did he go? Where's he at? 
It's like, you know, we all have that family member. We have that family member that when they're coming out of their house, you all, you all get in the car and you're just waiting for that one person that's five more minutes and you're going, what in the world could you be doing for that five minutes? And then she comes out with her big coffee mug and her bag and Jackie gets in the car, you know? And she, so at this point, John is going, where is Peter? Now, you guys, here's where... I really want you, just for this, this little bit right here, climb into the head of Peter. Just climb into the head of Peter. He's running neck and neck with him, right next to him. And you could just picture him start to put it all together. Everything's going through his head. All of his life. All the things Jesus said. You are my friend. It's going through his head. I can give you life. I am the resurrection and the life. There's something he didn't understand. And now he's starting to put it together. He's starting to put pieces together. And you could picture him slowing up. You could picture him almost coming to a stop and just saying, Could it be true? Could it be true? Could it be true that that tomb is empty? What if it is? Could it be true that he actually conquered death? Could it be true? Could it be true that, that the love that he offered me in this moment is fulfilled in that moment? Could it be true? Just could it? Could it be true? Could it be true that when he talks about his mercy that will cover all of the things that I do to turn my back on God and anybody else, could it be true that that mercy is still alive? You could picture him running and just going, could that be true? I could picture him just stopping at a, at a picnic bench and if they had him back then. And I could just picture him just stopping and thinking through it all and, and thinking of his life and just going, what if that is true? And it is an empty tomb. And he did conquer death. You guys, we are all running to the tomb today. Every one of us. And we have our life. All of our life is in our heads. And we're running to the tomb. And I know we're asking that same question. Could it be true. What if it is? Just, just, what if it is? What if he had the power to conquer death? See, if Jesus had the power to conquer death, could we not conclude then that he is, has the power today to walk with me in all the things that I feel broken in? If he has the power to conquer death, if, he, if love wins, then can I also conclude that peace wins? And that peace that he offers me will cover when I, when I am struggling with, with, with watching my, my parents die are dying and I'm, I'm, my heart is troubled. Can I, 
If his love wins, doesn't his peace win too? If his love wins, doesn't his patience win? For all of us that are waiting so desperately for our kids to have a better connection with you, waiting so desperately for the news from the doctor, waiting so desperately for, for uh, the, the infertility, to, for, for something to happen, waiting so desperately for the change that you need in your job? Is it possible that if love wins, that patience also wins in my life today? Is it possible that if love wins, then mercy wins? And when I walk with the guilt that I walk with for the things that I am so ashamed of and I am so afraid to look at and I'm so embarrassed and I don't want anybody else to know about, is it possible that grace wins today? If love won 2,000 years ago. Man, think about it, you guys. Run with Peter right now. Run with all of your stuff. Run with them. Whether you came here to church and didn't want to run or not, run with them today. Run with them to the tomb. Think about your life and what's going on. And we're getting to the tomb now it says here, it says, look at this. It says, it says, stopping to look in, John saw the pieces of cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. John didn't go in. And I love that because there's a lot of us that will run all the way to the tomb and we don't want to go in because you know why? We don't want it to be true. I'd rather have a little, little sprinkling of Jesus in my life. I'd rather take this life with its brokenness and its good stuff and the things I don't like in the mirror and the things that I'm successful in my failures and I'll take a little bit of Jesus because that's what I can understand and I don't want to have to go anywhere beyond that. I don't want this to be something beyond that because that could actually radically change my life. And so, so we stop at the tomb. Well, Peter's running and we're running and we got all that stuff and Peter gets to the tomb and he's going, I have to go in. It says Simon Peter arrived after him and entered the tomb. He ran right past John and went right in because he has to, he, this has to be true for him. He needs it to be true. He needs life to win. He needs this love to win. He needs this new life that Jesus was offering him. He needs the grace to overcome his most embarrassing moments, including the moment that he'd be denied Jesus. He needs it to be true. So he goes into the tomb, and you guys, the tomb is empty. It's empty. That moment right there, you guys, this, is a, this changes everything. The tomb is empty. He's not hiding underneath the bench. The tomb is empty. And the next day, Peter sees Jesus on the shore, and he comes swimming. He swims to the shore, and he sees him. And you got a picture of the conflict. you got a picture that he's got filled with wonder and joy and also just guilt for what he had done. The last time he saw him, he denied him. And in that moment, Jesus comes to Peter, and he says, he doesn't, he doesn't say, you idiot. He came to Peter and he said, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Come on, Jesus. Do you love me? And he's going, you know, Jesus, that I love you. He asked him three times. I don't think it's any coincidence that he denied him three times and he asked him three times. I think what Jesus is saying to Peter is you, you, you denied me and my love covers you. 
You denied me and my love covers you. You denied me and my love covers you. My love will continue to cover you. Welcome to a new life. Welcome to a resurrected life. Welcome to a second chance life. Welcome to a life where you are healed. Welcome to a life you don't have to look in the mirror and see broken, but you can see whole. Jesus is looking at Peter and saying, I told you so. Life will win and my love will win. Years later, Peter is sitting there writing some stuff out and he's reflecting on it all. He's reflecting on, on, the, the, on, the, on the passage that, that, that says, um, what's the passage say, you guys? The passage, it says, Jesus conquered the graves so that we could have abundant life. He's reflecting on that. He's reflecting on all that he saw. He's reflecting on that question that he asked. And this is what he says. This is his conclusion. He says, what a God we have and how fortunate we are to have him, this father of our master, Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, because the tomb was empty. Could it be true? It might be true. What if it's true? It is true. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all. Do you want to know what you gain? When he asked that question, what do I gain? Do you want to know what you gain? Life healed. Life whole. Who in the world doesn't want healed and whole? I don't care how good your life is. We all have both sides of it. Who in the world doesn't want healed and whole? A resurrected life, a new life, marked by love, marked by hope, marked by grace, marked by joy. Man, I still remember, I still remember sitting on those steps in the Chi Omega sorority with this really good looking girl who loved Jesus. And she told me all about this. And I turned to her and I said, Jackie, I'm not worthy of that. Of what you just described, I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. And she goes, yeah. Nobody's worthy of it. Nobody deserves it, but he did it anyway. I said, Jackie, I don't, I don't get it. There's so many questions. I am a doubter. I don't get it. And she said, yeah, that's part of the journey. None of us fully get it, but we walk and we keep learning about his love. And then I said, Jackie, it doesn't make sense that a God would do that for me. It doesn't make sense. And she goes, that's what's so beautiful about it. That's what's so beautiful. It doesn't make sense. But he looked at you and me and he said, I'm, I'm sending my son to the cross for you. And he's going to die for you. And he's going to conquer death for you so that you can have life. And I said, how do I do it? 
What do I got to do? And she said this. I'll never forget this. She said, nothing. Because he's already done all of it. He went to the cross and he rose from the grave. He's done all of it. And and she says, and all you have to do is believe it. Believe it. Father, we pray, we pray that on this Sunday, as we look at what you have done for us and we are in awe of what you've done for us and we are are humbled by what you've done for us and we're confused by what you've done for us, I pray, Lord, that every single one of us can recognize that this story is for you, is for for each one of us, that, that what you have done for us, it's for each one of us. God, I pray that that the person that right now is sitting here going, okay, that was good for somebody else. No, that it is for you, it's for each one of us right now. Your love was not, did not skip somebody. Your love is for each one of us right now. We thank you that love won and that we get life marked by that love. And I want to pray a bold prayer. I want to pray that every single person in this room would recognize the love that you have poured out on them this day. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.